podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Pro Plus on Anfield Index Pro. Dave Hendrick joined once again by Mr. Grizz Khan. How are you? I'm feeling much better. Uh, thank you very much for asking. And also helps that Liverpool are feeling much better as well. So, yeah, all in all. Yes, good stuff. yes they are feeling much better. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think, because I, I saw some of your tweets on Saturday after the Brighton game, and I think they summed up what a lot of us were feeling. We'll start with the misery and we'll work ourselves towards the joy. Uh, Liverpool trounced by Brighton at the weekend, 3-0. Mm-hmm. But let's be fair, Chris, this could have been five. It could have been six. That's about as bad as I can remember Liverpool team playing under Jurgen Klopp. It's probably the worst performance since we got hammered by Stoke 6-1 under Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, look... Look, sometimes you t- you tweet stuff straight after a game and, you know, you can go over the top with your reactions. Either way, you can be extremely positive and people thinking, what on earth are you being so positive for? You can be extremely negative. But I think the majority of the fan base, whatever they said after Brighton was, was, was very true and relevant. Um, I, I actually... On the way back from the game, I actually said that is the worst coached performance I've mm. seen under Jurgen Klopp. And I thought to myself, I might get a barrage of abuse by saying that. So I tried to to, to think back and I stand by it, Dave. Yeah. I stand by it. I actually think sometimes you need to put away or, or you need to ignore all of the of the of the context in terms of you know, the ownership, the injuries, the players playing out of position, those 11 players or whoever were involved, 14 players or whatever they were, the amount of players that were involved, including the subs, should no way have put in a performance like that. And you're absolutely spot on. 3-0 was such a flattering scoreline. It was, it was the worst coached performance I've ever seen under Jurgen Klopp in his tenure at Liverpool. And that was... That was bad. Well, I can't really relate to going over the top in a very measured person myself. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but but no, I felt exactly the same. And do you know what it is? It's we're old enough to remember previous managers and the end of their tenure. You know, we're old enough to remember yeah. Kenny first time around and how it felt like things had become a slog. Obviously, Sooness was never good. Roy Evans brought a lot of fun. We played some wonderful football, but we never quite got over the line. We only won two trophies in the entirety of the 90s. I spoke about this in the Daily Reg yesterday. We're old enough to remember what a slog the 90s were. We're old enough to remember going to school, going to work, and basically being bullied by our Man United supporting friends because... Their team were dominant and, and we were not. We're old enough to remember Julier and the greatness he brought to the club. And he put us back on the map in terms of Europe. He won trophies. But by the end, it was stale and you felt like it was time to go. It was the same at Rafa. That last season, Rafa just didn't have that same spark, mostly because he'd been at war with the owners for nigh on two years at that point. Rogers wasn't good enough. Kenny, the second time around, wasn't good enough. With Jurgen, he brought us right the way to that mountaintop. We conquered everything. 
And it felt it it has felt like we we were moving down. Last season we started to climb back up, and this season we've almost fallen off. So you, I think, I think you did have to ask yourself internally: Can Jurgen fix this? I think you have to be honest with yourself and say, "This man, we all adore him." Like, there's no Liverpool fan that doesn't love Klopp. If they don't, I don't know what to say to them. Like, if you don't love this fella. I really don't know what to say to you. Yes, he does things that infuriates me, but I absolutely adore him. But at the same time, I had to sit down and think, is this the end of him? Are we coming towards the end of him? Because he stood on the sideline. His team are getting completely dominated by a group of players that cost a fraction what his team cost. The Brighton team... All of those players look like they're in areas that they should be in and they're all doing things that they're comfortable doing and there's a style of play and it's very attractive and it's very focused and measured. And we look like a bunch of lads that Jürgen had literally picked out of the stands and said, listen, we're a bit short today. Can you go on and just run around for a while? I I don't want to disrespect Jürgen, but we look like a team that Frank Lampard might have sent out there. And he didn't seem to have any way to fix things stood on the sideline. And but, I, I did think, is this, is this the end game? Like, can he turn it around? Now, it's obviously it's a fleeting thought. But I think you have to, it has to go through your head. Because if not, I'm afraid you're suffering from a bit of blind faith, in my view. Yeah, look, there is, there is that. I agree with you. Because you do, because of the fact that He's selecting these, this team and this tactics and the personnel. He is the one who is bringing out the same players, the same formation, after having pretty much, how long did he have in the World Cup? Pretty much a month. Well, we, had, we went to Dubai for a fortnight, didn't we? So yeah. we've, had, we've had a training camp and it was very, very well documented that this would be a chance to regroup and speak on things tactically. And then we come back and be worse tactically. Um, it didn't make sense. The Especially on the back of... So you've got to remember, this wasn't an isolated game because, because every manager that you've mentioned... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. There was, okay, so there is isolated games where you can say that's just a one-off. So, for example, the Watford game comes exactly. to mind. People, people were saying about the Jurgen Klopp Watford. A lot of people were telling me, oh, you've forgotten Watford. I said, no, I haven't forgotten Watford. And the Villa game is another one people bring and, up. And the Villa game. I mean, total, total different scenarios and mm. circumstances. Um, and, of course, we proved so in, in, in the remainder of those seasons how we, we, we actually were. We showed our true colours. This is on the back of um, a disastrous game against Brentford, I thought. Again, tactically. Now, I'm only talking tactically, Dave. So, there are things that coaches can do. And... I hate to bring up a Man United coach on a Liverpool podcast, but just very quickly, and we won't mention him much more unless you want to, coaches like Mourinho and Ferguson, more so that came to mind, were brilliant, right, in the man management side of things, but also tactically flexible. Now, Jurgen Klopp's, I think one of his, I don't think, Tactically brilliant is one of his main strengths. 
but he can be tactical, but he can make up for it by being tactically flexible. Do you know what I mean by that? So he can be flexible. He doesn't have to be brilliant tactically. And this is what astounds me about Jürgen Klopp, where he refuses or so far has shown to be not tactically flexible. And this is what was worrying, because to every man, woman, cat, dog, in that first 20 minutes, we could see that we were being walked through. And the 4-4-2 or whatever you may want to see, I saw it at the ground as a 4-4-2 of type of kind, wasn't working at all. No. And his failure to change it, his failure to change it, even at halftime, was astounding. It was astounding that he wasn't willing to change it. And look, Brighton are a fantastically coached team. They were a fantastically coached team under Potter. And it looks like De Zerbi has taken them up even a further notch. We, I just thought, look, I'll never, I'll never doubt the desire or the, or the, or the, or the attitude of a Jurgen Klopp team. Um, but from, for sure, I, did, I, I definitely, definitely would doubt the tactical uh, approach to certain games. And that was, that was one of the major, major things. And look, as you said, Jurgen Klopp is, is our king. He absolutely is. And I still adamant, adamant that he is the one for me to guide us through to the Liverpool 2.0 or Jurgen Klopp 2.0. Yeah. But, un- but unfortunately, the evidence that we have before us and the historical data that we've got before us suggests that he has not yet built, rebuilt a team that he has built himself. So I know people always throw back law. He, well, he built Mines, he built Dortmund and he built Liverpool. I agree. But did he rebuild any of those teams? The evidence that we've got before us suggests no. But our faith in him, because we love him so much, suggests we, we do still trust him to do so. And that's all we're asking, I think. That's exactly it. Like I said to you last week, he will be the first to know if he can't do it. And he will say, I can't do this. And he will leave. That, that's what we know of him, because that's what he's done in previous jobs. When he's realized that he can't do what he wants to do anymore with that group of players or with that club, he just moves on. I said after the game, that looked like a group of players that were no longer playing for Jurgen. But what is the reason for that? Is it that these players are no longer capable of playing the football that he wants? That's a very strong possibility. But it would be surprising if the entire squad were no longer able. Now, it may just be that it's a couple of individuals and given the positions they play in, it's having a knock-on effect Absolutely. and we can talk about that. But yeah. there is also the possibility that it's burnout. Jürgen yeah. has said in the past that... Look, when he signed for the club, he said, I'll be here five, six, seven years, and that'll be it. He was quite clear about that. Him signing the contract extension to stay on till 2026 will bring him to 10 years at Liverpool. That's a long time to be at any one club. It's a long time to be at any job in any field, but especially when you throw so much of yourself into the job as Jürgen does. So it could be that the players are burnt out. It could be that Jürgen's burnt out. It could be a combination of both. But I have a piece up on AnfieldIndex.com today. A little bit of a clickbaity headline, I'll admit. It's Jürgen, it's time to say goodbye. And it's not time for him to say goodbye to the club. I think it's time for him to say goodbye to some of these players. And I thought it was interesting that he made the comment about being loyal but not too loyal in his most recent press conference. But I do find reports of... And his own comments about wanting Firmino to stay to be a little bit counterintuitive to that idea. Because I I love Bobby. I love Bobby more than most. I wanted us to sign Bobby a year before we got him. I was thrilled when we got him. He was an integral part to that first great Jurgen Klopp team. But there can be no denying that Bobby is older because that's just nature. There can be no denying the fact that his performance level is significantly lower now on a consistent basis than it was, say, pre-Champions League win. And there can be no denying that he gets injured a lot more now. So Bobby is one of those players. He's one of four that Jürgen inherited. Bobby, Milner, Henderson and Gomez. They're the four he inherited. 
And for me, they're the four that will be at the top of the list to move on in the summer because age, wages, is it's a massive issue with three of them, Milner, Henderson and, and Firmino. You're using up resources that you don't have an unlimited amount of. And with Gomez, it's more down to the injuries and the fact that he'd be 26 soon. And I don't want Joe Gomez's career to be Wes Brown's career. I don't want Joe Gomez to have been arguably the most promising young English defender of his era and end up as a squad player who later goes on to play for Sunderland or something like that. I want Joe Gomez to go and thrive somewhere. So that's the only thing with Joe. But there's a couple of others in the squad, like Fabinho's one you could look at maybe as a time to move him on, given the recent decline, given Joel Matip's age and contract situation. I think he's another one you could look to move on. I think these are these are things that Jürgen could absolutely do, but he would have to go against his own moral compass, which is that he doesn't force players out of a club. But... But this is, but this is, but this is part of his evolution as a coach. Yes, exactly. So and this, the great thing, is, you mentioned Ferguson earlier. Mm. The greatest thing Alex Ferguson did was turn his squad over multiple times. He built three, you could argue, four great teams at Manchester United. Definitely three. There was the first team that won the league titles. There was the second team that went on to win the treble. And then there's the third team, which is the Cristiano team that won three league titles in a row and the European Cup. He did that by doing a couple of different things. When, when things would go stale, and for them, stale was generally finishing third, he would get rid of influential players. So be it Mark Hughes, Paul Ince, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister. He moved them on, Andre Kinchelskis, before they were actually fit. Robson, you could argue, was finished. But the rest of them still had something to offer. Later on, he would move on Keane. He would move on Van Nistelrooy. You know, he got rid of big-time influential players when he felt that the benefit to the squad was addition by subtraction. Take away this one person. Give everybody else a jolt to know that they're not safe and spark a renewed vigor and then add pieces to that, add youth, add enthusiasm, add more talent, more technique. The other thing he would do is he'd turn over his coaching staff. He went through Brian Kidd. I think he had Jim Smith for a while. He had Steve McLaren. He had Rene Muhlenstein. He had Carlos Kiros. He had Kiros a second time. Like, I'm not and- saying he should get rid of Pep Linders. I'm just saying that maybe... He should add somebody to the coaching staff, a new voice, because maybe that's what the players and, need. But this is it. His fear of being labelled too loyal. I mean, it should be like, like, would anyone, would anyone label Ferguson as disloyal? No, he just had a ruthless calculating side to him. Like all of those players, all of those coaches, I should say, you mentioned, will still or would still speak very highly of Ferguson and how protective he was whilst they were working for him or under him. And same with Jürgen. Like, like you know, you're, you're, saying, you're saying it's going to be 10 years if he finishes, if he completes his contract. Now, Buvac, Kravitz and Linders come to mind as the only coaches. Did he have, did he have the same team at Dortmund? Did yeah, Buvac and Kravitz. and Kravitz were at Dortmund as well. Yeah. So there you go. So they are the same voices. It's a continuation of the same voices mm. and pretty much the same philosophies. And it's very, very apparent. Now, yes, Pep Linders has had a massive input. And it does suggest that it is a different voice and it's a different philosophy. But maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe there needs to be another voice a different voice. And I think, I think from what we've heard and his body language, now obviously we're not body language experts, but the things that he said, and it was quite a interesting press conference since then and everything, and sort of pre-match to, to, um, 
yesterday, the Wolves, pre-match to Wolves and, and post-match Brighton, um, suggests that... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's very much a, a watershed moment. Not for the team, because we know the team needs a turnover of players. We know we, it needs an influx of of energy and, and, and legs and, and all of that, what we've discussed mm. about the midfield and et cetera. But I have a sense and just an opinion and a hunch. I think it's a watershed moment in his managerial career. And, and, I'm, and I'm kind of excited by that, if you know what I mean, Dave. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what it means for him as a coach and as a manager and how he's going to deal with it because yeah, you're right. The words that were uttered out of his mouth suggest that he's on a the you know the proverbial warpath in terms of he knows what he needs to do type thing. So I think it's an intriguing, intriguing six months coming up in terms of not only Liverpool 2.0, but Jurgen Klopp 2.0. Yeah, and, and they have to go hand in hand. Before Liverpool can evolve, Jurgen needs to evolve. And he needs to do things slightly differently than he's done in the past. And I, I'm not, and you, I, I know, I know you're not. We're not suggesting that Pep Linders needs to be replaced or anything. I definitely think he needs to be put back into the background a lot more. I've never seen an assistant manager as prevalent in terms of the amount of interviews he does, in terms of writing a book and stuff like that. And Miguel Delaney had an interesting little nugget in a recent piece that not everybody at the club was aware he was going to write a book and it didn't sit well with everybody. Now, I'm sure the important people at the club knew it was coming. I would imagine he would have had to have gotten approval to write said book. But Linders is unquestionably a good coach. Like, he's a very good tactical mind. He's a very good development coach. There's a reason he's so highly regarded around Europe. There's a reason Guardiola casts an eye at him. There's a reason that Mikel Arteta tried to nick him and bring him to Arsenal. There's a reason Jurgen Klopp thinks so highly of him. He played a big role in our evolution once Buvac left into the team that went on and won the European Cup and the Premier League. So he definitely has value and there's absolutely a role for him on the coaching staff. But I just, yeah, I think if, if there can be I know Jurgen likes to work with a small, close-knit group, but I do think adding another voice, an outside perspective to that, it could just be that refreshing new thing that these players need. Because, look, Virgil's had a poor season by Virgil's standards. He's been poor. Trent, the same. Uh, Robbo, the same. Mo Salah, the same. Now, Mo's still getting goals and assists, He's still performing, but he hasn't been the usual level of Mo. Nobody's going to tell me that those players are finished. Now, I can watch Fabinho and I can see a physical decline. I don't think it's as drastic as some of the performance would suggest, but I do think there's been a decline. I think there's been a decline in Joel Matip. But when I look at the others, I mean, Virgil was the best centre-back in the world last season a year removed from an ACL surgery. Trent was the best right back in the world last season and the season before and the season before that. Andy Robertson's been one of the best left backs in the world for the last three, four years. Mo has been one of the best players. I'm not going to accept that those players have just forgotten how to play football or are 
physically incapable of doing what they used to do. So for me, it just looks like they need something to reignite them. Maybe it's a maybe it's a change in shape. Maybe it's a change in style. Maybe it's a change in message. Maybe the change just needs to be that Jurgen becomes the one giving the message more often than filtering it through his coaching staff. Maybe that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Roy Keane has spoken before about how when things were going badly, Ferguson would appear on the training ground for about a week and every message would come through him and the players would react to that because, well, if he's here to give us the message, if it's not coming through Brian Kidd or Carlos Kiros or whoever, this is a message we need to take on board. This is more serious. Something needs to change here. He's considering something drastic if he's come down here. And maybe that's what Jürgen needs to do. Now, Jürgen, I think, spends more time on the training ground than Ferguson did. Ferguson tended to trust his coaches until he felt he couldn't anymore. But maybe Jürgen just needs to take a bit more control. And we've obviously, we've all heard about Michael Edwards leaving, Julian Ward is leaving. We know there's been some chaos on the medical side with different people in and out. And I do wonder if maybe Jürgen has taken on a little bit too much in terms of the overall running of the club, the overall running of the team. And that has taken him away a little bit too far from the the coaching of the, the actual players. And I wonder if he needs to shift back to that. Now there are rumors that were on the hunt for a new sporting director. And if that person comes in with the same level of control and power and input that Michael Edwards has, Michael Edwards had rather, Perhaps that allows Jürgen to be back more focused on the team and not being pulled in so many ways. Because right now, Jürgen reminds me more of Arsene Wenger than Alex Ferguson. The late era Wenger, who has been pulled in all these different directions, having to do far too much. And it's what cost them the, this, the stature that they had. I mean, they they went unbeaten that's, and that's then fell exact- off. That's the exact comparison I made just before me and you started stop talking in, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> in 2017, 18, I think um, I compared him to Arsene Wenger and there was shock horror amongst many. How, how on earth have you compared him to Arsene Wenger? Well, now you see it. Now you see it. The comparison is, is there. He's, he's far more influential in the in the overall runnings of the club, um, he's far less influential on the the tactics of the team, and mm. I don't mean and I don't mean he's got no say, and I don't mean Pep Linders is running the team. I've just said far less influential or far less active role. Um, and I agree with you. Sometimes you do need the man that you moved for or you transfer to that team for your motivation, your leader, your inspiration for joining Liverpool, which, 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 which absolutely was Jürgen Klopp for 95% of this team. Um, you speak about the four players that he's inherited, and lo and behold, you're absolutely spot on. They're the four players that he's struggling to let go. Because I agree again, despite his, my love for Bobby Firmino, it's intriguing again, and it's kind of worrying that he's doing the same thing that he'd done with Henderson. Again, with Joe Gomez, your comparison to Wes Brown was brilliant. Um, that's such a brilliant comparison. I'm going to steal it and tweet it before you tweet it um, and get all the likes. Um, but, 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 but that's a brilliant example. And again, we know the Milner and Henderson scenario situation. There are rumours, call it what you want, that Milner was shocked to, to, to even be offered another contract. He thought himself that his time was up. And, and we know the Henderson scenario, that was a four-year deal where Jurgen Klopp um, sort of went to the board and said, I want my captain to stay, which, which I can understand from a footballing culture, keeping the culture going point of view, from point of view, because they're influential and they're heavily influential. And yes, Footballing, creating a footballing culture shouldn't be underappreciated, and they've done a magnificent job on that. But he's played far too much football on the pitch, and that is the worrying side. Henderson has been far too prominent in his team selections, 
And that is the issue. Again, Bobby Firmino, so injury prone now, so unreliable, even though he's been fantastic at the start of the season. In fact, he carried the attack. If we remember his, I think his stats, I don't, I'm not sure if they're still the best, but, you know, uh, he, he started off like a, like Bobby does when he's had a nice rest. But again, are we really doing this again and giving him another two-year deal as opposed to just maybe giving him another contract extension while Nunes settles in? Why Diaz and Jota maybe gain, regain full, full fitness, if you know what I mean? Um, um, and simultaneously giving Cavalio and, 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 and Nunes time to settle into the attack and how we operate. But, you know, these things are intriguing. That's all we can say. And, 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 I, and as I said, he does. He does need to. And I think he has. I think he's had a wake-up call. Um, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's cost us this season in terms of it being a write-off. But as long as there's no long-term damage done, because I still want him at the helm must make that clear. I still want him at the helm. I still want him to be taking us forward. It's just frustrating and very, very, yeah, very frustrating and sad to know that it's pretty much a write-off season because, you know, let's face it, Arsenal are very much in the running to win this league and that's going to hurt above anything else because we're going to think, my God, we, we, we were so good, mm. you know, putting up 90 plus points and yet here we've got an Arsene Wenger team, um, sorry, an Arteta team who by no means are on the level of Man City and Liverpool, yet they've got a very good chance of winning the league just because yeah. we've had an off-season and so have City. That's the thing and, you know, we talk about writing off a season in the middle of the primes of Alisson, Virgil, Thiago, Mo Salah. Like, We've been fans of this club since the 80s. I don't remember since that late 80s team a time where we had as many great players in their primes supplemented by a great squad. We obviously had, you know, Gerard Alonso, Torres, Mascherano. They were great, great players, but there were there were some average players in that squad at the same time. You know, we were fairly average at fullback. We were fairly average on the wings. We had that great spine, but Rafa never had the money to go and finish the team that he was building. It, it feels like such a waste. And you're right. I mean, like this Arsenal team, like, let's be really honest. They're, they're doing very, very well. And you're right. They may well win the league. I, st- I still think City will, will get it right and will go on to win the league. But this Arsenal team, if we compare them to us, Ramsdale's not as good as Ali. Nobody would take Ben White over Trent. Nobody would take Zinchenko over Robbo. Ibu and Virgil, for me, are levels clear of Saliba and um, Saliba and Gabriel. I think Thomas Partey is comparable to Fabinho at his best. He's a better player now than Fabinho. Odegaard is clearly a better player than Henderson. But, I mean, Granit Xhaka couldn't... He's not qualified to make Thiago a sandwich, let alone play the same sport as him. And then this an is, attack. This Sack is, this is great. Gonna, yeah, yeah. This was going to hurt. This was going to. Sakura Martinelli. Sakura Martinelli are fantastic, fantastic. But are they Mo Salah? But are they Salah and Mane? No. Like, and, and, you know, and that's the this thing. is it. They're not. Even, they're even close to their no. potential or or peaking. And this is what's going to hurt. You know, the frustration of it. You know, we've managed to look. As I said to you last week, I, I fell into the. I fell into the to the belief of we're going to be up there again. I, I didn't foresee it. I didn't foresee it. And, and I'm not sure many, many did foresee this amount of fall off. Like I expected, I expected maybe not to be on the levels of last season, but this fall off has been so drastic and disappointing. And, and what hurts me, David, it, it can be slowed down in, if, if we are set up tactically different. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that we can. We we could be much different, but surely we can be given. Like for example, before the World Cup was our best phase, where we did change it up tactically. Yeah, we did become a bit more secure, um, you know, and and then we managed to sort of totally abandon it. Because, but I guess again, again, maybe that's because our attackers 
got injured. So there is a bit of leeway for him that he because the midfielders came back to fitness, Ox, Naby, um, Thiago, everyone became available in midfield, and then obviously we lost our attack. So there is some scope for giving him a bit of leeway, but as bad as the performances we've shown, no, it doesn't equate. It no, doesn't it doesn't. Equate. And that's the thing, like we we had that horrendous performance against uh, Brentford that that you mentioned earlier. We were pretty pretty shocking against Wolves in the first leg. Awful. Oh, sorry, the first Awful. game. Awful. And Don't forget t- Leicester. Don't forget uh, Leicester. Leicester was Leicester was appalling, genuinely appalling. And I don't yeah. think we were great against Villa. I think Villa wasted a couple of really good chances. John McGinn had that that chance where he tried to head a ball that was practically rolling along the floor. Um, like we haven't been good. We weren't great against City in the in the cup game when we came back from the World Cup break either. So we, we came into Brighton on a run of really bad performances. And you were thinking, right, this is this is Jurgen Klopp. The the difference between so you mentioned earlier about um you know a Klopp and, and one-off games. So like the Watford game, the Villa game. They were one-off games in which Klopp very quickly got things rectified. And one of the ways he did that was by just going in and, and speaking the players through the game, what went wrong, what needed to be fixed, and then fixing it on the training round. So you were hoping this would be the same where he would the, where the, the Brentford game would be the Watford game, the Villa game. That level of awful performance is something we wouldn't see again or that he would fit very quickly fix. But but Brighton, I mean, that it was just shocking how poor we were. Now, to his credit, last night we play Wolves in the FA Cup and he makes drastic changes to the team. He brings in Cuevin Callagher for Ali. That's fair enough. It's the Cup, whatever. He changes the midfield. Thiago keeps his spot, but Fabinho and Henderson drop out but the the thing I found notable and I still haven't seen any journalists comment on this is that both Trent and Henderson weren't just left out of the team they weren't even part of the squad and there's been no mention that either of them had a knock or which is normally what we hear oh it's a light knock oh it's this it's there's been nothing said by Pierce Joyce King Jones or Lynch None of them have have given an explanation. The club would normally say such and such misses out because of whatever. They haven't said a word about Henderson or Trent. Now, Henderson's performance against Brighton was absolutely appalling. Trent's effort against Brighton was what concerned me. On the third goal, you've probably seen the clip. He's just standing on the edge of the box with his hands on his hips. And there are not just Danny Welbeck, but two other Brighton players in our box, completely unmarked. The goal isn't Trent's fault, but that lack of effort, and he had been run ragged by Matoma, we should point that out. He had been run absolutely ragged. But the fact that Klopp left both of them out of the squad, I wonder if that was to send a message that, yes, you're a club captain, and yes, you're the golden boy academy product, the homegrown star, the scouser in the team, but you're not above being left out. And if your performances, and neither of them have been good this season, Trent had a couple of good games, Henderson's been very, very poor. Your performances have not been good enough. And until I see something change with both of you, you're not in the squad. I'm willing to give Jurgen Klopp credit, but... I'm not sure if I'm willing to give him full credit until I've seen or we've seen A, the lineup against Chelsea and B, the performance. Do you know where I'm going with this? So I agree with you. I agree with you in terms of, look, he made the drastic changes. I don't think there was ever a scenario where he wasn't going to make the drastic changes. I think... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, 
I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48 hour no obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I think the litmus test, and I think to see where we are in terms of his, his view towards the issues that you've raised and pointed out will be against Chelsea. Because the, I mean, I don't know if you want to segue into the last night's game. It was day and night. Oh, yeah. In, in terms of energy, in terms of compactness, in terms of intensity, purpose. pressure, purpose, in terms of um, structure. Yeah. We, and a whole different way of playing, Dave. James Milner and Simicas, I don't think, and again, you're probably, and, and some of your colleagues are probably the best equipped in terms of checking the stats, but I'll be astounded. I'll be astounded if we played even 25 or 20% of the long balls that we played when Trent or Robertson are playing in fullback area. Yeah. And the reason for that was, of course, the size and the, and the style of the players that were selected, namely Cavalio, Elliot, and Gakpo. But the midfield, again, diminutive in stature, uh, low sense of gravity, playing far more triangles closer to each other. And that was a coaching element. Yeah. That was coached. That was 100%. That they were spoken to to play like this. This didn't come naturally to them in terms of they didn't get onto that pitch thinking, um, you know, we're going to play. I mean, obviously, obviously, they go out and play their game, but they were coached into this is how we're going to play. The amount of times we did not, like Trent's, like Trent's a generational passer of the football. Like his technique is scary, right? It's so natural. It's so Steven Gerrard-esque. Like, so people talk about how Gerrard is the cleanest striker of football they've ever seen, right? Well, Trent is in that category. But it's also, it's also his, or it can be also a weakness and detriment to the team where we're, we're always looking for that crossover or that switch of play. You know, again, that should be coached. Again, that should be made adamant, and uh, sorry, Klopp should be adamant and made clear to Trent that, you know, sometimes you have to play the percentage pass. It's almost like Trent, the percentage pass is too easy for Trent because yeah. I think I think he can complete ninety percent percentage pass rate if yeah. he wanted to easily. But it looks because like he gets how, bored at times, doesn't he? He gets bored of it. It's like he can do it with his eyes closed. It's like. You know, he, he, he knows what he's capable of and he wants to do something different. Again, this is all down to the manager and coach have to speak to him and coach him into playing the right ball at the right time. Yeah. And so that was a contrast and difference. Now, this is why I'm not willing to go overboard with the praise for Jurgen Klopp, even though I loved him happy. And I was so glad that there was a smile on his face and he didn't look ill because, you know, these kind of things can affect your mental health and your physical health. So I was so glad to see him happy and everything. But from a footballing perspective and from a ruthlessness perspective, I need to see how we perform and who he selects against Chelsea. Yeah, because like the thing is, if we played the same way we did last night and lost, I'd be taking the same amount away from that game as I am given the fact that we won, which is that there was absolutely a change in message. There was an, a change in approach. There was a there was a definite 
aim to keep the ball a bit more carefully last night. You you mentioned um, Milner and Simicus. When they got the ball, they weren't looking for that long ball down the line. They weren't looking to get it in behind. They were looking for the midfielders. They were looking for Naby and they were looking for Thiago. Give it to them, let them play, get forward support and be available if the ball comes back to you. That was the, the clear instruction. And I think a big part of it is, is trusting the player you're passing the ball to. And I, I do think there is an element where some of our players don't trust Henderson in possession when he gets the ball under pressure because he panics and he gives possession away needlessly. Whereas with Naby, with Thiago, even with, with young Basetic, who, Jesus, 18 years of age, takes the ball under pressure. He's Cruyff turning out of, out of traps and, and just very calm, very composed. Like, when you, when you have players of that technical level, and I think when Naby plays that right-sided role with Trent at right-back, I think Trent is far more comfortable just giving the simple ball. I think he gets... I think he, he sees it as he has to do all the creativity of those two roles when he's there. He has to be the one that makes things happen. And that, you know, Henderson's role is more of an off-ball, work-rate kind of thing. And Trent is the one there to play those passes. And he does he does do bizarre things. Now, like you said, he is he's the cleanest striker of the ball. Him, Kevin De Bruyne and Steven Gerrard are probably the three cleanest strikers of the ball I've ever seen since, since Beckham. Beckham could strike a ball as well as anybody. But when we when we were watching last night, and I, now admittedly I missed the first 25 minutes. I have since watched it back, but I tweeted at halftime, I've been watching this game 20 minutes and none of our midfielders have aimlessly hoofed the ball away. None of them have no, panicked under no. pressure. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it not just so Henderson. Visible. It's not just Henderson because Fabinho at times... I, I, I was waiting for you to come in on Fabinho as well because I agree with Henderson. Mm. I agree you, you know when Henderson. Fabinho looks like he's kind of run out of steam and yeah. he just sort of puts his toe through the ball and gets it aimlessly into an area and we end up back under pressure. I couldn't stop laughing at one of the comments in one in one of the WhatsApp groups I'm in, and someone said to me, and we started laughing, and I and I and I, I found it so hilarious. It he said, for after after Fabinho has been on the pitch for five minutes, he said, for it seems like Fabinho has already played ninety minutes elsewhere, and he's yeah. come to the pitch. I mean, you know that I, that, I, that fellow who turns up at five aside of a Friday night, but he's already played five he's aside. He's already played somewhere else. And I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, I'm just t- coming in to help you guys here. Like, I, I, I look, I absolutely understand Fabinho's drop off is based, and also, look, the players around him haven't helped. The structure, mm. he hasn't got the same legs around him. He hasn't got a prime genie and Henderson around him. But there has been examples, and I've been, and some may call it a witch hunt. I don't give a shit. It's not a witch hunt because again, Fabinho for me has been magnificent and he's a legend of the club and he changed our fortunes. Absolutely changed our fortunes from the moment he stepped into this team. And, you know, but I'm looking at this Fabinho the last six to eight months, Dave. I'm not looking at him just the last five, six games. I'm looking at him, I'm looking at him like pre-Champions League final. Yeah, he he was really starting to wear down last season. And it's, it's, it is, look, I, I'm, again, maybe reactionary, but sometimes people need to, to actually listen to the words I've said, as opposed to just paraphrasing just the headline, clickbait as you call it. I've said we won't ever see the best of Fabinho again. Yeah, I, now, I think that that's fair. Now that, doesn't I... mean, now, that doesn't mean he can do a job for us in games. That doesn't mean he should be sold. That just means... I now class him, we've had the best of Fabinho. Mm. Just like I thought we had the best of Mane, just like we thought we, I've seen, we've seen the best of Gini Wijnaldum. And for sure, a season and a half ago, we saw the best of Henderson. And, 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 and the same for Matip as well. Yeah. For me, we've most certainly seen the best of Matip, Fabinho, Bobby Firmino. And this is why I need to see the ruthlessness shown and not make the same mistakes that we've made with Milner, Ox, Naby, Henderson. Well, I don't want us to make the same mistakes with the, with the mentioned players. 
I'm I'm fine with Fabinho staying. Like I put him in my article because he is a player I think that would have real value on the transfer market. I, th- I think you could get a good fee. Yeah, I think you could get a fee with which you could buy his replacement, and that was basically my thinking with with Matip as well. M- Matip, you might get fifteen to twenty million for him, which would go a long way towards funding a replacement. Maybe someone like a Max Sensler-Croix from. Wolfsburg as a big, powerful, quick centre-back to come in and be a good fit with what we want from centre-backs. Same with Fab. If we got 30, 35 million for Fab, well, that could fund Emmanuel Ugarte or Manu Kone, players that could come in and be developed into the next starting six. I don't want Fab to leave, but I'm okay if he does because I, I think for the club to evolve, we have to be less sentimental and we have to hold on to things that we that we love. Like think of it, think of it in your own life. If you held on to everything you loved throughout your life, every every possession you had that you loved, you'd have to live in a 46 bedroom house to have room for all the crap that you would have kept across the years. Yeah. It has to be the same with the club, especially a club like us. We run on a on a mindset of self-funding so we spend what we make that's the whole model and it's what we make from tv revenue from winning competitions from selling players and and selling shirts and all the rest of that good stuff we can't do that if we're keeping players until they hold no value now Sadio Mane probably would have fetched us a fee in the region of 70 to 80 million if we'd sold him in the summer of 2020 after winning the league when Sadio had been, for my money, the best player in the league that season. We might have even touched 100 million because he was only 27 at the time. And if you look at the fee that Hazard had gone for, I think he would have gone for something similar. But we held on to him for two more years and got about 30 million. Ginny Wijnaldum, going into the last year of his contract, it had become fairly clear we weren't going to keep him. So why did we keep him the extra year? Why not sell him and at least get some money back in? Emre Chan the same, Alberto Moreno the same, Adam Lalana might not have bought a fee, but you wouldn't have been paying him significant wages for a year in which he didn't really do anything. Lovren should have left earlier. Shakiri should have left earlier. Divock Origi, I mean, he scores that goal in the Champions League final. His value's never been higher. It started, clearly- from, the, it started from there, Dave. For me, for me... It started from the Origi non-transfer. We absolutely could have sold him for, for 25 million plus so easily. Yeah, after and we that. get nothing and in the end. Nothing. It started from there. That was the that was the that was the the, the start of the, the bad non-sales. I mean, I know we glorify our good sales, but the, well, we've had a lot of steps. yeah, we've had a lot of missteps. And and you mentioned the two earlier on, Nabi and Ox. They're players that we spent about 87, 88 million on to bring to the club. And now we're going to lose them for nothing. Whereas if we'd moved two years ago to move them on, when Naby had real interest and Ox had real interest, we probably could have got 40 million for the pair. And the 40 million for the pair of them would have funded a new midfielder who would have come in in that 23 to 28 age range and given us a jolt and pushed us forward. But we haven't done that. And that, that's largely why I would look at Matip with a year left and say he has to go. He has mm-hmm. to go. Because you can't extend him because he's so injury prone and he is clearly declining. You have to sell him this summer. But the that issue, must- and I agree with all these moves, but the issue we have now is because we've neglected one part of the pitch. Mm. Of course, we know which part we're talking about. Even though we have... Stuff to do at the back. I mean, I, I, I most certainly believe we need a centre back, another young, up and coming, strong in the mould of a Konate centre back. But how much can we do in one summer? Because that's of, the thing. Because of the because of the neglect in midfield. And Jurgen doesn't like to have too much turnover. Sudden, sudden turnover. Exactly. So that's the thing. Like so, like if we were to go out in the summer and. And really take a chainsaw to the squad and say, right, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. That's fine. Bobby, Milner, Nabi, Ox, thank you for everything. Best of luck. 
Nat Phillips, Joel Matip, Joe Gomez, Costa Simicus, Cuevin Kelleher, and you over there hiding behind that person. You're all being sold this summer. There isn't a future for you at the club. And we were to go and buy the four midfielders we need, two new centre-backs, a backup left-back and a backup keeper. I would be fine with next season just competing to be in the top four, you know, with finishing third, having a decent run in Europe, whatever. I wouldn't be demanding trophies next season because we would clearly be, that would be for me a transition season. When you've turned your squad over, you give them one year to settle. And then in 24, 25, you go balls to the wall to try and win stuff. But people tried to tag this year as a transition season, but we weren't transitioning from anything because there wasn't enough change in the squad to call it a transition year. The only real change was Mane out, Darwin in, because we only the only other signings we made were two kids. We didn't sign anybody else that warranted the use of the term transition season. This is just a fall-off. I'm okay with a transition season next season if Jürgen wanted to be really ruthless and go through the squad and sell off fringe players who have value, like Costas, you sell him, he easily funds his own replacement, and there'll be a little bit of money left over. Joe Gomez, I think you can do the same. You take the money that's left over, plus the money from Joel Matip, that funds Matip's replacement. You could do the same with Fabinho, sell him, get his replacement from there. And then the money that you have, your actual transfer pot, you go and you buy, if, if it's Jude, it's Jude, and Matthias Nunes, and maybe you find one young, cheap midfielder somewhere to come in. Kelleher will also fund his own replacement and leave money left. That's a transition season. That, to me, is fine. If Jurgen wants to say, right, we're going to make a big change this summer, everybody, everybody's going who's not part of this core group of players that we can't do without, and then these youngsters. Everybody else can go. And maybe then you just say to Henderson, right, your, your role now is you're the Milner. You'll play 15, 20 minutes here and there. You'll start in the Cups. You'll get the odd start in the league. But that's it. That's your role. And if you don't like that, Jordan, speak to your agent and see if there's a move out there for you. We won't ask for a transfer fee. Just ask them to cover your wages or whatever. And, that, and, and thank you for your service. Good luck. We'll still have Ali, Robbo, Mo. Virgil, Thiago, we still have five significant leaders in the squad. So we wouldn't be a team shorn of leadership. We wouldn't be a team shorn of experience. We, we would still have those big personalities, big leaders, big presence, big players in our squad. And then you could say, right, it's, it's a season of transition. We extend Thiago for another year or two. We extend Mo again, maybe for another year. And we say to them, right, this year is about building, learning to play with each other. We're going to go back to what made us great, go back to being dynamic. We're going to give Jude a year to get his feet wet. And next season, we're going all out to win everything. And we don't have anything to do next summer. You're going to be the group for two years. Maybe you add one or two around the fringes, but you're the group. You're going to drive this vehicle for the next two seasons. And that's the cycle of this team. And at the end of that cycle, maybe you start to look at replacing Thiago. You start to look at replacing Mo. You start to look at maybe replacing Virgil. But that to me is where we need to go. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But you mentioned earlier, not wanting to give Klopp too much credit for Wolves. And you're exactly right, because the big test is, is Saturday. Mm-hmm. what team lines up against Chelsea? Does he revert to Henderson back in or does he leave him out again? I think that's the big litmus test. I think I think that is, but I think Naby's performance justifies him starting. I know there's a massive clamour for Bejetic to start as well, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure he starts ahead of Fabinho. Uh, and of course, Thiago most certainly starts. I think the, 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 the decision, the crucial decision is, is Naby. Now, again, I just, I just don't think Naby and Jurgen Klopp are best buddies. Um, and that's a major issue. Um, 
And this is what needs to be put aside maybe for the betterment of the team until the end of the season. Um, because there's no doubt, there's no doubt Naby is in far, far better form than, than, than Jordan Henderson. And the chemistry with him and Thiago is far, far better than, than a Henderson and Thiago. Um, but again, how does Naby play on that right side with Trent coming back in? Because for sure, Trent will come back into that team. Um, there is a few issues. I don't know. I, I most certainly, I most certainly adamant that there has to be the same partnership at the back. Absolutely. Gomez and Konate must start again. Um, and then up front, I don't know about you, Dave. I don't know. Gakpo, I'm not judging him. I'm not ready to cast a total judgment on him just based on Liverpool and, mm. and in his signing and in his performances in the last, because it's a, that's totally stupid to do that. But against Chelsea, we're going to need, we need, we're going to need him to show far, far more. Nunes will be back. Salah will go to the right. I'd play Darwin on the left and I'd leave Gakpo in the middle against Chelsea because Chelsea centre-backs, like, Thiago Silva's quite slow. So despite Gakpo not having blinding pace, I do think he can worry him with with his quickness. But I I think with no Reese James at right back, I think I want to see the plan. I want to, uh, look, not just this game, but I want to see the, I want to see what the plan was or is with Gakpo. Mm. In terms of the coaches and club and what they're thinking, because you're, I'm in agreement with you in terms of if he's going to be developed as our new Bobby, so to speak, um, he's got to show so much more. Yeah, he's got to show so much more. He does. And that's like, my worry. Just... I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm seeing the same vision as them. If they're seeing that as a vision, again, you know. I think he's. I think he's a guy that we're going to look back, pretty much like. Do you remember when we used to see Stan Collymore's goals? Yeah. And you think to yourself, what left foot, right foot, outside of the box, stunning goals. But then you and then you watch the whole ninety minutes and you think, do more. Yeah. Where are you? Do more. And he doesn't do more. That's this the is my thing. only worry about Gakpo. But look, it's early days. I, I'm. I don't want to be sort of. You know, opinions are there to be. To be to be changed. Yeah, he's come into the team at a bad time. Of you know, course, he, he came course. in for the Wolves game. We were awful yeah. uh, as a team. He came into Brighton. We were awful as a team. Last night's approach was a little bit different to the normal approach. And, you know, without Trent there, without Mo there, without Darwin there, there's not the same level of creativity and pace around absolutely. him that I think he'll absolutely. have. Yeah, but he absolutely. does. He, do, he himself needs to show a bit more. And... You know, it'll always be strange to me that we we used if that was our budget for the January, if that's what we had, if if, if you know, say, let's say we had seventy million to spend, and the midfielder we wanted is now out of range. Well, it's it's just odd to me that we went and we bought him instead of buying the midfielder. But look, Jurgen made the made the decision in in conjunction with Julian Ward and whoever else is advising. Uh, and they will live or die with it because it's a it's a big output for Simple. for a player, and yes. it's it's on them to make it work. They have they have had I'm sure they've had a clear vision of what they want, and I do wonder, I do wonder if maybe their their vision is is Mo and Diaz wide with Gakpo just off Darwin, but that doesn't really sit with then an an approach of. Bellingham and Nunez in the summer because you can't play them two as a two with that four in front of them because you've got no defensive presence. You've got nobody to sit and hold the midfield. So I'm curious to see how it works out. I, I do think, you know, Gakpo and and, and Jota as the, the, the backup two to Mo Darwin and Diaz, I think that's, that is strong as long as we figure out how to use Gakpo. But yeah. like you said, we'll have to wait and see. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We are out of time for today. Let people know where they can find you, what you've got coming up. And uh, 
and what you're looking yeah. forward to. Yeah, looking forward to this Chelsea game. I've got a I've got a, a brilliant preview lined up, guys. Chelsea game on Football Carnage with a, a very good Chelsea fan, uh, Matisse. You you hopefully oh, well, you may know him from the Big Six. Um, he's one of the more sensible Chelsea fans, let's just say. So yeah, I've got a good preview coming out, and just yeah, go check out Football Carnage, guys, uh, for more um, for more takes, hot takes, wild takes. Sensible takes, stupid takes, <laughs> takes nevertheless. Takes nevertheless. That's what it's all about. That's what we do here. Like, yep. you know, that that's basically it. Uh, so, yeah, at Grizz Khan on Twitter, Football Canage on YouTube. Give a follow, give a subscribe, hit the little bell thing and get notifications whenever he uploads. And you live stream on that as well. So make sure you're checking that out. And, uh, yeah, we will be back next week all going well. Thank you always for listening. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.